Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. Oh my gosh, we are beyond excited to have the famous cosmetic surgeon, Dr. Trevor Bourne, as our guest today. His name is well known across Toronto and beyond as the guy you want to go to for any cosmetic procedures. He's kind of famous, I'm not exaggerating. Since founding his practice in 1996, Dr. Bourne has become one of the most sought after cosmetic providers for the top celebrities, VIPs, and social elite of both Toronto and New York City. He has been featured in the pages of Vogue, Oprah Magazine, Toronto Life, Hello Magazine, and many more. One thing Dr. Bourne may not know is that four of my private Pilates training clients here in Toronto have actually seen him. Dr. Bourne has done their liposuction, breast augmentation, and tummy tucks, and I know how particular these clients are. Dr. Bourne, you are the real deal. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and answering our questions, and boy, do we have some questions for you. Well, thank you for having me, and it's, it's really kind of you to be so complimentary, and I'm uh, excited to dive in. Let's dive in. So yeah, we have so many questions for you. And I think that the best place to get started when we're talking cosmetic procedures is really like, what do you see right now in terms of like the trends that are happening and that you're noticing um, in cosmetic procedures right now? Um, what are what are women, you know, maybe our age, let's say, coming <laughs> to you interested in? So there, there's there's sort of two aspects of the trend. One is obviously non-surgical um, people trying to sort of preserve shape, contour as they're getting older um, with their face in particular. And then obviously we have the body. And so we have a lot of new devices, procedures, and techniques that are being employed to help or not help uh, those individuals. And, you know, we it's, it's, uh, it's a trying time because there's a lot of promotion of just about everything uh, all the time and people get confused as to what works and what doesn't. So uh, tell us what works. Tried and true fillers done well work. Botox done well works. You know, these are obviously been with us for a couple of decades and uh, you know, the technique should be pretty standardized, um, but you know, it's not. And the, the challenge that I'm seeing is that a lot of these things are being overdone and people come in happy and now need to have things reversed. Um, so the, 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 the bad part of the trend that I see is that the overdone part, too much filler, too much Botox, too many uh, non-surgical attempts at tightening skin and lifting things that you know, will not give the result that people want. So that's the negative trend. The positive side of it is that people are more interested. People are getting a better understanding of what good and bad is in terms of fillers and Botox and non-surgical devices. So there's a real sort of learning curve, I think, that people go through 
and they and they're starting their adventure into cosmetic surgery non-surgical side uh to really understanding how good or bad they can they can achieve results um there's just so many people offering these things now that's become harder for them to discern where to go and how to do it yeah Yeah. groupons like there's groupons for botox all the time (laughs) yeah and you know and that's great because you know people you know if they it's not really affordable and they can try it and it's it's good but at the same point if they have a bad experience it's bad for my business yeah so that's that's a huge challenge for me and obviously i've been in practice for a couple of decades and i really want to provide the best care and to, to really give great results. And so um, when you have someone coming in disappointed with the result, that that's a challenge. But I think that even on the injector side, we're seeing people do better work. Um, the fillers are becoming a bit more sophisticated, which is good and bad that uh, the old fillers are the old standbys. They're easy, mm-hmm. very little problem. The new fillers may have a few more problems. So you have a few more challenges. Um, but I think the trend is that we're, we're seeing people start younger, uh, yeah. Botox younger, uh, maybe a little bit of filler here and there. I think people are understanding better facial aesthetics and balance so that they're getting appropriate fillers done, whether it's in the edge of the eyebrow or under the eye or around the mouth or in the chin or all the areas, depending on what kind of balance they're looking for. Um, so certainly there's a lot of options. And then now we have the new sort of absorbable threads, which has become a fairly hot trend in my world, um, which I haven't adapted yet because I want to see that burnout after two or three years. Absorbable what? Sorry. All the absorbable <laughs> sutures. Or threads. Oh, oh thre- I was like, wait, timeout. What is he talking about? <laughs> a little thread to, to hold things oh, up. Oh, like facelift stuff. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, but little things do little things. So, you know, you have to be careful with those. And uh, so th- that's the, the latest challenge that I'm seeing and as far as people having, you know, wanting to get threads done. But after they've been on the market for a couple of years here, I've still resisted doing them because I just don't seem to think that they, they last as good as they should and for the expense and for the risk. Well, I mean, that's really good of you to do. And what, like in, in terms of waiting it out, <laughs> but what's the typical, like, so I guess it sounds like kind of the Botox fillers is a gateway into, I, right? Always, and then what age are you seeing? Because I know it, it, it is getting younger and younger, but what age? And then what age would you recommend? Because it's like the baby Botox type stuff and preventative. <laughs> like there's all these spins on it, right? Like I heard everything. It put every which way to say like, you know, it's just a baby Botox. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, baby Botox means, you know, smaller amounts, just keeping the frown lines soft, keeping the, the crow's feet a little softer. So they do smaller doses in particular people, younger skin, like yourselves. I mean, your, your skin is great and you have no changes from the sun because you obviously you've been wearing hats and wearing sunblock all the time. So you have perfect skin. Still. Oh, Dr. Boris and daylight. <laughs> Use your skin over a few decades. You know, the skin starts to thin out and those lines become a little more easily to acquire and, you know, a little stress here and there. And then sooner or later you have some lines and you need to, you know, blast your face with a laser and clean everything up. So sounds wonderful. I think starting at a younger age, not a bad idea. Clearly we don't want people doing it inappropriately, but if you do smaller doses, younger age, you can preserve a lot of, of nice aesthetic in terms of preventing lines, 
holding eyebrow position, preventing folds of the side of the mouth, preventing the, the neck from descending. So those are things that can be very helpful when people are starting in their you know, late 20s or 30s or 40s. Right. Okay. Okay. Amazing. And then, and then moving into, I guess, the surgical side of procedures, what do you see being the most popular type of surgeries and then or procedures that women would get done? And then I guess what type of considerations would people make in deciding to get some of those procedures done? That's a very broad question. It's going to take you Chip away oh. first. So what's the, I guess, first let's, then, what is the most common? <laughs> let's take above and below the neck. So, okay. 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 I like it. I like it. Yes. Break it down. <laughs> so, you know, for face, you know, obviously at younger age, the changes that you'll see earliest are eyes. And so for eyes, you may look at small eye, upper eyelid surgery, the lower eyelid, you know, puffiness is very common, particularly even in people you're very young. So we can take away that puffiness the simple procedure of an incision on the inside of the eyelid, upper eyelid, cleaning up the skin a little bit. So taking a little bit of skin away, maybe a little bit of puffing fat. So those are the starting surgical procedures that would happen in, in a younger age. And then the other combining with that is, is fat grafting. So we oh. can use, fat, we'll use fillers to add contour to the face. And so as we age, we tend to lose volume around the eyes. We lose volume around the mouth. And that's why you see the folding here and the hollow under the eye. And then the temple brow tends to thin out a little bit. And so we can add that volume back really nicely with, with your own fat. So that's called fat grafting or micro fat grafting. And that's a great complement to sort of the beginning stages of eyelid surgery and or read to do any face sifting surgery. And then combining that with a skin tightening procedure. So combining that with thermage, which is using radiofrequency. So these are procedures that um, will give you nice results without looking done or different. Um, I actually was t- saying earlier that I want to get, so can we talk just for a second about loose tummy skin? So just for context, um, Lexi and I both have two children. I have a five-month-old, which is our second, and Lexi has a seven-month-old. And we're like, we are like, I'm a Pilates instructor. I am strong. I am in shape. But like, let's talk loose skin, doc. Because loose skin. It's, it's there and no matter what, I've done and can continue to do, I have a feeling it's probably going to stick around for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But when you have changes in the skin, particularly related to pregnancy, I mean, you, you had a you know, nine, 10 pound sort of thing in there that stretched, <laughs> <coughs> which, you know, men would only have if they drink too much beer. So yep. <laughs> yeah, um, it's challenging because not everybody's skin goes back to the way it was. And so if that skin's changed and it's still loose, even if you're back to your sort of fighting weight or even plus fighting weight, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's not going to go away. You can use devices if it's fairly small amounts, like Thermage, which is again, topical radio frequency and, or there's a newer device called J plasma, which we use mm-hmm. under the skin to tighten the skin. And, you know, those have limited, results in people that have a lot of skin excess or skin mm-hmm. wrinkles. And so that becomes more challenging. Certainly you can combine with those things, Sculptra, which is a, a type of filler that you can inject in the skin to improve it and add contour. Um, but if you have a lot of excess skin that needs surgery, that's really the, and then the question is where that excess skin is because in some women it's above the belly button, some it's below the belly button mm-hmm. and some it's the whole tummy. So, you know, we're looking at different types of tummy tucks in that situation to, to get rid of the extra skin. 
I'm just happy high-waisted jeans are still so in. (laughs) I mean, once that goes, really, it's going to (laughs) be... For me, it's great for you, Dr. Warren. Not so much, because once that belt line gets lower and lower... Yeah, but, you know, if if skin is in excess below the belly button, um, and there's a little, you know, some people have C-section scars where the skin overhangs, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's only the lower tummy skin, then you can do a mini tummy tuck, and that we do... a fair percentage of that we remove a little extra fat, we take out the old scar and then we bring this down and, and tighten things up that way. So, you know, there's, there's options for taking some of the extra skin away. So it depends on the quality of skin. So when someone's considering something like a tummy tuck, like let's stick with that one, for example, because <laughs> the audience here may, may or may not have interest, but um, if someone was interested in that type of procedure and and not necessarily like looking at each of the ones you listed, would you like come in for a consult and then you kind of direct, I guess, whether it needed to be surgical or if some of the other ones like the thermal, was it thermal radiation? Five. Yeah. Yeah, or if that might work instead. Yeah. So again, I think you know I always dial it back to what the patient's goals are. You know what their downtime they're looking for, recovery risks of, of the surgery itself, and obviously what their anatomy is like. And so, for example, today I saw a woman who has really only loose skin in her lower tummy and a little bit of laxity in the upper tummy. So we're going to do for her a combination of J plasma in the upper tummy. And then the lower tummy, we're going to take away a little bit of that extra skin with an incision mm-hmm. um, and do some liposuction. But we're not doing any muscle work, so the recovery is very short. A week, you know, of doing lesser activity than after one week full activity. Um, you know, and then we have sort of the next step in that regard is just taking extra skin off of someone's tummy, but a lot of extra skin compared to a mini tummy tuck and no muscle work, and they can get back to regular activities at two weeks. And then if we do a full tummy tuck, then we're looking at six weeks of downtime. Okay. We have a, a new technology. Well, it's not that new, but it's called M-Sculpt. And it's like uh, Pilates on steroids because <laughs> they track the tummy muscles 20,000 times in 30 minutes, super maximally. And we can tighten down that diastasis, the separation of muscles. We can increase the tone of those muscles. We retrain the muscles to actually uh, be at resting tone flatter without having to tighten those muscles up surgically. So we can do that in advance and then post surgery for a tummy tuck and not do any muscle tightening surgically, which reduces risk. Mm. And every time they're back at reg- regular activities at two weeks. So that's a big change for yeah. us. And that's what I recommend to women that don't have a lot of really lower abdominal laxity that, you know, they walk in, they just can't even hold up their lower abdomen. It's just bulging out you know, the hips rotated forward and, and they really have no central core strength. So in those cases, we are going to tighten the muscle to some degree and then still obviously recommend some M-Sculpt to help re- reinvigorate the muscle. But uh, so there are options to that are much less than the full tummy tuck, the big scar. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. And I, I like that you said that you kind of customize it based on the person's goals, their body, you know, their anatomy, because mm-hmm. that you know, it's nice to know that it is obviously so custom. And I think this is a huge education because we're both like, oh my God, these are all words we've never heard before, <laughs> you know? So thank you for that. I, I have a question. Um, I just want to dive a little bit deeper into diastasis, which is kind of what I do as a Pilates instructor. I teach people 
about how to restore their core postpartum and to try to mitigate the risk of developing severe diastasis recti during their pregnancy by helping them learn how to manage intra-abdominal pressure as best they can. But I understand that there's a genetic component to it. Obviously, if you have twins, triplets, you're, you're probably going to have it, right? It's right. going to be difficult to, to deal with. Um, and so I guess my question to you is how, how, first of all, common is this in your office? Would you say there's a large percentage of women that are coming to you with diastasis? I think, you know, for the most part, women don't come in saying they have diastasis, um, okay. even like family doctors told them. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, women do read about it online that, that they get diastasis to the pregnancy. The diastasis basically means that the, the, there's a separation of the two vertical muscles in the tummy. Mm-hmm. So if you look on a beautiful body that's, you know, worked out, no fat left and no water left, you see the outline of all the muscles. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the sculpted body and you'll still see there's an indentation in the line women it's above the belly button men it can be above and below the belly button um and that those midline muscles can come apart and so to work them back together really is about rebuilding the muscle for the most part the fascia may or may not shrink down now um, with pilates and with working out and with the m sculpt you can reduce some of that diastasis by retraining the muscle so that the muscle has more resting tone when you're sitting standing um, in, in any position um, a lot of people particularly as they get older lose their mind not, not losing their mind sorry they lose their ability to actually trigger and hold those muscles so they you see people when they're older their ball their tummy sticks out even though they're not fat right and, but that's just the laxity or the, the muscle tone going down. And so for a lot of women that I see, they may have a little bit of separation of the muscle. It's not terrible. They don't have a hernia, so there's no bulging per se. Some do have bulging and it's terrible, like it's really bad. But I would say for the most part, no. And those are the cases where unless they have a lot of anterior, anterior pelvis rotation and or bulging of the lower abdomen, I would say I wouldn't do any muscle work on them. And really recommend to do the M sculpt and or Pilates and you know continue to work out. But most people, as they get older, are not mindful of their of their abdomen at all. I'm trying to fix that. <laughs> and it's yeah, difficult. Exactly. I'm aware of it, and I do M sculpt and, and do those things. And you still once in a while stand around your your belly sticking out, not bad or anything. <laughs> That's true. That's funny. Well, um, what about for? Um, when someone's coming in, so, and this could be tummy tucks, this could be, you know, breast augmentation and implants and things like that as well. And anything really, but like someone's coming in and, and they're interested in understanding, I guess, what the after will look like. Like I can imagine, I guess, also in breast implants, especially this would be the case. Cause you want to know what, mm-hmm. what am I going to look like after? Cause you can't really go back and say, right. oh no, I want the old, I mean, you could, but you're not going to. <laughs> so what in your, um, like, uh, I guess consults and things like that, how has you think back to like the mood, I picture like sex in the city episodes and it's like the <laughs> marker on the bodies and or Nick <laughs> Tuck, right. Like, and yes. all that. And then they're like, here, we're trimming this, we're trimming that. And like, just jotting you up. I imagine technology is advanced and that that's not exactly the procedure that it, you go through, but what is, yeah, what, what does that look like? And um, so people can kind of picture that procedure in their minds of like the consult and walking through, um, seeing themselves potentially after 
uh, a, co a cosmetic surgery of sorts. You, there are new technologies and I haven't adopted them yet, but I think you know, there are 3D technologies that you can take a picture and then show oh. some how things look uh, with a certain size implant, shape of implant, position of implant. Um, the difficulty with that is that we all see ourselves mostly in two dimensions and pictures and in the mirror. Yeah. And obviously you can see your breast from top down, um, but that's not relating to how your brain actually sees that image. And that's the hardest part to explain to people is that I can show you a picture. You can bring a picture that you want me to see and to compare what you want to look like, but your brain will never compute that. And so the hardest part is, in terms of breast shaping, yes, so we're going to do a lift, we're going to do augmentation or a combination of both. Um, it, it, it's really, really very difficult to, to show someone those details and have them a guarantee that that's going to happen and be that, that they're going to like it. And so sizing is the hardest thing. Uh, positioning implants, not such a big deal in terms of under over the muscle, um, but for them to see end results. So our best approach and what I like is just someone put on sizers. They have a bra on, they put a t-shirt on, they can see how it looks in the clothing because most people want to look at themselves in their clothing and see what happens when their bra is pushed up and how the breasts look and, and their clothing on. And clearly they want to look good with the clothing off too, so we don't want to avoid that part. Right. Um, but it is still the better idea for me in terms of judging the size and shape. The three-dimensional images, um, even though you can see them in three dimension, it's very hard for the brain to accept it for, from my standpoint. Um, and we've had good success in terms of giving shape ideas and size ideas. And obviously with people bringing pictures in to show us what they want, that, that makes things even more difficult because we don't know where that person's body started from. And we don't know how their body relates and the size of their body because the picture is, you know, someone that's five foot four with a D cup breast and this person may be five foot one and the A cup. And now they want to go to that size and shape of that person. They're, they're totally different bodies. So yeah. it's tricky. And we, we have sizes. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of leads in and Nikki and I were chatting before yeah. this, around like body dysmorphia and, and all, and just like the, first procedure leading into the second to the third to the fourth, like just not seeing, I guess, the real you. Um, I don't know if you have like I'm a sure. protocol, like, do you, do you deal yeah. with this often where you kind of like, I, I imagine there's going to be a subset of patients that always want more and more and more. And, and I'm curious to know how, as a professional, you deal with that. We, we were both talking about that, right? Cause as you mentioned, I love that you touched on the brain, Like we yeah. don't really see ourselves the way that other people see us. That's true. And then I think that body dysmorphic syndrome or body dysmorphia is really important to be aware of in terms of when you're speaking to someone about change. Um, the triggers are always when someone's perception is they want a certain thing and it's not, it's a, something you can't achieve and B that it's unrealistic. Um, obviously there's extremes of people and what, you know, the, the sort of, quotes body dysmorphia is i mean we're all if we're if we're anyway obsessed about how something looks we're kind of dysmorphic because you know as humans we should just be out putting a jacket and t-shirt on and going out and going on our business but you know we do our hair we do our makeup we shave our beards you know we put on a certain style of clothing we have a certain house we drive a certain car so as humans we're very expressive and we interact with all of these things 
And beauty is only part of that. Aesthetics is only part of that. And cosmetic surgery just plays into that whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have patients that do multiple procedures. They do some fillers, they do Botox, they do surgery. You know, they do, uh, they go to Pilates to uh, make their bodies feel better and look better. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different aspects of what I do, but understanding body dysmorphia is probably the hardest part screening for it. Really that that's very difficult. Uh, I think it's experienced over time. You get a sense of what someone's, what the realistics are. And even on occasion, you have someone come in that's just, they're just odd and you just don't, you're not certain that you want to do something, but then you do the surgery and they're fine and they're amazing. You know, they write you great review and glowing and, you know, they send notes to the office staff that they're happy as all get out. And, and, you know, so you're surprised by personalities at the same time. And, uh, you know, I think that the way my practice is that we're mainly focused on word of mouth referral. We have a little bit of social media, we have a website, but we don't advertise. We're not on billboards, we're not on the radio, and we're not sort of, you know, trying to, to grasp all different parts of society to come into the office that we have a good filter and I think that it, it, it really takes away from people that are shopping, first of all, and second of all, that, that it allows us to understand that they really come in, they're committed, they have questions, um, they're going to pay a console fee and uh, take the time to come and see me. And I think that's a, that's a big filter for people that may have um, issues with their, with their body and, and, their, and their, their own self-perception. Yeah. And you have, to, you have to really ask the questions of what concerning someone and so it, it takes time and that's why the consultation is 45 minutes or more and that we we, we pay attention and we listen and uh you know if if we need to we bring them back for a second visit to uh to discern whether this is what we want to do for them first of all and second of all what they want to do too right for sure and i mean i guess hand in hand with it does come like you know, the building of confidence. And, and if you're saying, you know, referrals is exactly how you have built your business. Obviously that comes from people feeling better about themselves, um, after certain procedures that they've had done, which actually kind of links to, I know we mentioned, uh, around, uh, having an interview done with a a woman on my team actually around labiaplasty and that it was amazing to see, and hear her perspective um, that how much the surgery, like the procedure had changed her confidence and how she felt about herself sexually. And, um, and it, it really went from being incredibly self-conscious woman um, who also experienced like her issues were, were pain related as well. Uh, there, a lot of discomfort linked to linked to it, but then the flip side, having the procedure done and being feeling absolutely over the top better about herself and and also being, you know, sexual with her partner and, and all of those things. So um, if you want to, like, could you share some of, you know, just your feelings around those types of procedures and just your experiences with it? Because I think that I was just, it was a, such a nice thing to hear from her around a procedure. And she spoke so openly about it, which was really nice. Um, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that. I think, you know, obviously it's sort of newer to most people to either, you know, change the look of the genitals, whether they're, you know, there's changes with uh, babies, age, um, obviously menopause has a huge effect on on the appearance of the labia and, you know, male too. I mean, the male scrotum can be 
come longer. And, you know, so there's all sorts of aspects that um, people have feelings about and, and clearly sexuality is an important part of society. Um, appearance is far more visual today with uh, people being exposed to porn, being exposed to just regular advertising um, and, uh, you know, talking about it openly. Mm-hmm. Um, no normal, which is part of the, the sort of the mix in the background. And if you went to the United States, the Association of Gynecologists really still poo-poo doing any type of genital surgery. Mm. Clearly, there's a, a standard that people look for that looks uh, looking at genitals that are younger in appearance versus older in appearance. Um, and the younger means, you know, a slightly larger labia majora, um, the labia minora inside the labia majora or meeting the labia majora in terms of the projection outside. Um, but listen, people are born in all shapes and sizes and the labia can be a different shape from, you know, teenage years through adulthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of it's abnormal when it becomes functional. Obviously that's a difference if there's interference in terms of labial size, length of labia, labia minora. Um, and some of that may partake in, in the actual ability to be lubricated and to be able to enjoy, uh, you know, becoming aroused and so on. I mean, those are separate from the physical appearance for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be heavily intertwined into the, the appearance or the ability to become aroused and have a sexual relationship. Um, labia shape, again, there's a big variety of it. For the most part, what we do is restore volume to the labia majora, which is by way of fat grafting. And then we would reduce the projection of the labia minora so that they're more in line with the labia majora. Um, that surgery can be very simple in terms of just removing the extra um, skin that's or tissue that's hanging down. Um, rather than doing a complicated surgery, I think it's a better approach. You have less in chance of scarring and sensitivity post-surgery. Um, they're not without complications like any other surgery, so you have to understand that. And uh, what we try to do is to really just do the minimal amount in terms of work, whether it be on the clitoral hood, on the labia minora, or on the labia majora, to try and give a balance. Um, certainly, bring, people bring pictures of what they want to see, and that's that's fine. Um, it's certainly not the most common surgery that I perform, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's a surgery that when someone has a good idea of what they want, it works very well. The recovery is very fast. We have people back at regular intercourse at one week. And wow. the main issue for this type of surgery, for the most part, is, is making sure that there's no hypersensitivity or pain after surgery. So controlling pain is super important. Desensitization is super important. So starting massaging the area after surgery right away. And uh, then, you know, again, getting back to regular uh, intercourse and and lifestyle activities. So Mm -hmm. um, we have, uh, you know, for the most part, again, because word of mouth, patients are usually really gratified. Occasionally, we need to go back and do a little touch up in terms of removing a little more of the labia minora or adding a little more fat to the labia majora. Unusual for me to have to reduce labia majora. Um, certainly, that's you know shown and taught in our in our courses. Um, but again, evaluating the patient, understanding why they want to do it, and uh, and being sure that it's something that they're going to get benefit from. Obviously, that that can be difficult. Yeah. So I wanted to know, you know, first of all, you mentioned that it's not the most common procedure that you perform. I mean, sure. I don't know if you have like percentages of people you would estimate off the top of your head <laughs> that would, you know, of your practice that, that would 
be wanting labiaplasty? And then my other question is, what is the most common procedure that you perform? So in terms of percentages, it's less than 1% of what I do on an annual basis. Common what fat grafting for the face. So I do a lot of restoring of facial contour with fat grafting. Um, either on its own or in combination with facelift surgery or in combination with eyelid surgery. And oh, wow. that that's certainly by far, you know, that's my specialty. That's what I've been doing for 22 years. And, you know, the original guy that really taught in Toronto, his name's Sid Coleman. He's no longer working here. Um, I learned from him and I've changed the technique a little bit from what he taught me, but um, when we had the introduction of fillers or inject- injectables in 98, at the same time, fat grafting was making a comeback in our specialty. And for facial contouring, it's probably the most essential ingredient to giving a face a nice restored contour rather than the sort of old and overdone contour. Right. Um, well, that's interesting. And less than 1%. While you were talking about the clitoral hood and labia minora <laughs> and majora and all that, I was like, how little does one woman know about their vagina? Like vulva area, right? Like who knew? So anyways, I just learned a full, full anatomy. It's all about anatomy. the anatomy, Lex. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, man. I know, True. Nikki, you know this Oh stuff. my God, yeah. You know it all. But like for any, I guarantee all the women, they're like, I'm sorry, the clitoral hood? Like I, th- I thought we were talking cars for a second. No. Oh my God. Okay. So I have to share with you guys a story. I had a question the other day on the, my DMs. This is just giving you context. And I'm sure Dr. Bourne, you may be I mean, I guess if someone's coming in for labiaplasty, they probably already have a bit of a sense of anatomy, but I had someone reach out and and I deal with a lot of women who are dealing with pelvic health issues. So she was having pain with, with sex and she's like, I work in the medical field. So that didn't, she didn't, you know, divulge any more info. And then she said, I'm having pain in the intercourse hole. And I was like, and then she said, I don't know the name for that. I was like, Oh my Lord. Like we have work to do in, in empowering women to learn about their anatomy, you know, like these are not, these are not bad words. So anyways, that's a little anecdotal story I wanted to share with you guys. Well, I want people that are listening that there's no normal. Yeah. So I think that's very, make sure is that, you know, just because when you watch or look at someone naked and they're supposed to be like the ideal model and they're nude and you see their, their anatomy, that's, that's fine. Yeah. You're also, so there's, there's no need for any of this. Obviously if there's a functional aspect of it, that's different. Mm-hmm, that, you know, mm-hmm. That's not the norm. Yeah. I think that's a really important message. And, and actually in that we are both wondering how many times do you get asked for people to look like their Instagram Filters. <laughs> it's certainly becoming more difficult because the filters obviously work wow. look good. Um, and I think we, we see more of it from the younger population. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the reality is that we have certainly a lot of tools in our, in our, uh, in our work, in our work box now, we can do a lot to, to make images or shapes or people's faces better, more balanced. But, you know, to, to compete with a filter is always difficult. And, you know, the, the most common reference we get are the Jenners and, and the Kardashians. And, it, 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 you know, it's a little... Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the latest thing about, you know, pulling the eyebrow up, you know, so they look like Bella Hadid, you know, 
it's fine for Bella to look that way. She has a certain shape and, and anatomy and eye shape. Yeah. But, you know, most part, when people come in and they don't have anything relative to that and you want their eyebrow pulled out, you know, straight out. <laughs> I wish know. people could see what you're doing to your eyebrow right now because they're probably listening and he's just like pulling it pulling way up, back, like, <laughs> like looking like a jack-o'-lantern a little bit, yes. you know, like. <laughs> Perfect description. Well, pretty, and it's not pretty. And then Bella Deed's pretty, so then we say that she's not pretty. But yeah. for people who look like that, it's not yeah. pretty. And they yeah. have beautiful eyebrows and arches and shape to their brows, but it, it really is is not going to enhance their appearance by doing that. I guess that's a great, like, probably final sort of question to wrap up around is, as, like, a takeaway, if someone's interested in getting – and anything. So let's say, you know, especially with the face, like, what do you, I guess, what would we come prepared with? Because naturally you'd think people would come and prepared with pictures of just like a hair, hairstyle. Like <laughs> I'm going to go get my hair colored. I'm going to bring pictures of all these like models and whomever superstars who have beautiful hair and likely my hair is not going to look identical to that. It's the same sort of thing. Right. So what that's naturally, I think the direction someone would go is like, Oh, here's the Kardashians and Chloe just had some work done. Like what it, I want to look like her sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that's always the, the, you know, the comparison points so you understand where they're coming from. And uh, so we always want to sort of, be careful not to promise those things and, and, you know, deliver it's the, it's the same, you know, over deliver under, under promise and uh, you know, <laughs> make sure that yeah. we're giving them a result that they want and that they understand what we can give them because it's, you know, at the end of the day, if, if they're misunderstanding, that's when people get upset and, you know, they're paying for a service just mm-hmm. like any other service that you would buy anywhere. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's medical, but at the same point, it's still a service. And you just link it back to, I guess, the person, right? Like always, yeah. Always got to take it back to their goal and have a really good understanding of what they want. We take pictures, we show them in the diagrams what we can do, um, and you know, it, it, I think it's very helpful and educational to be able to do that. But the three dimensional aspect of it, again, with the face, just like the body, can make it very difficult. So I try not to do that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. This is very educational and I have so many more questions, but (laughs) I, I feel we need to do like, all right, the boob segment and the (laughs) tummy duck segment. Totally. Oh my gosh. Like that is, is easy because then people can sort of focus on, on the topic they want to listen to, to some degree, you know, it's, there's certainly lots to talk about and, and, um, and what we do and particularly the work I do, it's always about nuance. It's not just about, you know, pulling the skin down and getting rid of the extra skin. It's about the contour of the whole body, the mm-hmm. contour with the buttocks, the flanks, the contour with the legs, so that we're, we're not just shaping one spot and then, and you're, that's all you're done with. And, oh, you know, cellulite. Oh, oh, wait, wait, one more question. Cellulite. It just came to me. Yes, that. And also, wait, I'm like, I have to ask this before, cause I'm going to forget and kick myself. So, okay, wait. Oh my God. I am so sleep deprived. It just came to me and then it just left. Lexi, you go. I'll cut you off on cellulite. That was the problem. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Just quickly. People need to know like, what, what are the things for cellulite? Like mine, I, I've, it's gotta be hereditary. That's what I'm blaming it on at least because I just doesn't matter what I do. I can't get rid of it. Yeah. If it's starting from when you're, you know, teenager, it's difficult difficult to treat because the it's an attachment of the the fibers from the muscle to the skin and the skin quality 
So, you know, women have more percentage wise have more sight than men do because men's skin is typically thicker, particularly in the legs. Oh, I know it just kills me. Like men, again, you, you don't even get cellulite. Like it just literally <laughs> irks me. <laughs> Best device that I like for treatment is, is the M tone, which we have. It's a uh, three energy base and three different energies in one device that really helps with the quality and texture of the skin. Our home runs are someone that has, you know, late onset acquired cellulite or mild cellulite to moderate cellulite. And it, it works extremely well. It's not a painful procedure. You may do four to six treatments and, and uh, you'll get results six, nine months to a year. Uh, but you'll still have to do some maintenance with it. Um, there are devices that put little cuts in the skin that can break the attachments and those may work for more serious or deeper cellulite. Um, and then you can also combine with some sculpture to help improve the quality and texture of the skin and to fill in areas that are soft. So combining with a filler and then uh, there's a, you can also do thermage. So again, it depends on someone's skin and the part of the body that it's on. Obviously the legs are are more challenging, particularly longstanding cellulite. Um, but we, again, that scenario, we just don't overpromise because then you end up with better. Yeah. I mean, if you promised me that and I walk, I mean, I wouldn't be the happiest, <laughs> but that's a uh, helpful wait. So Nikki, have you, do you Oh my God. I'm, I'm kicking myself here. I literally, it was contour, like the body, the flank. The, yes. The con- <laughs> I know it, it can't, it, I was, I'm literally, we're going to hang up this call and I'm going to be like, damn it. So it's okay. It will come back. We're going to just have to have you back. Yeah. We'll, we'll just have to have you back. But this has been so helpful. I and yeah, I think that there's so many more conversations that we can have around it. But we how do people find you, Doctor Bourne? Yeah. Like, just tell us that. Tell us. Tell us that. What's the best way if if someone's listening to this? What do they need to do? So, I mean, our we have on uh, on the website. It's uh, tmbcosmeticsurgery.com is the website, and I'm also on Instagram, Trevor Bourne MD, and. Uh, I'm on Facebook too, but I don't know what that is. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, Neither do we. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you just call my office. It's uh, 416-921-7546. And, uh, you know, you can email us at uh, info at tmbcosmetic.com. Um, and your website's yeah. very informative. I went on and there's like, you go detail into every, any procedure you want to learn more about. There's a lot of information there before and after stuff. So perfect. That's great. That's great. Um, and if we don't, don't get a response, try each of the different aspect avenues to get a hold of us and we should be able to get back to you. Perfect. Thank okay. you. Thank you so right. much. Thank you both. Have a great evening. You, you too. too. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.